This is Drummer's Resource Podcast Session 641, and the quote of the day is, Patience is bitter, but the fruit is sweet. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey yo, what's going on everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 641, and I hope you're well, and those of you in the US, I hope you had a really nice holiday and a nice long weekend, and here we are, back with another episode, and this is a really great episode with EJ Strickland, and I've been trying to get EJ on for a while, and let me rephrase that, I've been wanting to get EJ on for a while, uh, but finally made it happen here, and this conversation is a great conversation and we talk a lot about patience behind the kit maturity behind the kit uh the the idea of musicality we talk a lot about chops and how to use them properly and and conversing on the instrument and how you learn those things and from someone who grew up in a musical family he has a a brother who he plays with all the time who's a saxophone player so we talk about a lot of that in his development and just it's a it's a really really great conversation really wide-ranging conversation and i'm excited to finally have gotten him on the podcast so let's get into it with the one and only mr ej strickland EJ, what's happening, man? Thank you so much for being here. I'm good. How are you doing, Nick? Thanks doing for having well. me. I'm doing well. It's been, for me, I've wanted to get you on for for a long time. So the, the fact that we actually got to line this up, uh, I'm very, very grateful, very thankful. So I, I really do appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. So so I want to, I was, I was, you know, I, I've, followed you for a long time but i was you know, obviously doing some research uh before before we talked and yeah i'm so intrigued by your dad being a musician your brother being a musician you being a musician what was that yeah. like in your household growing up with with your dad and then your brother and you and like what was going on in the house what were you listening to what was the vibe like in the house because of that well you know Right from the beginning, you know, my dad was exposing us to all sorts of great music, uh, not not only jazz, but mostly jazz and uh, but also like Stevie Wonder, uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, stuff like that. Just just uh, the, the best of quality uh, from any genre you can think of. He was playing it in this high definition stereo. So we just grew up listening to all sorts of wonderful music. And jazz was never like a foreign thing to us. It was mm-hmm. just a part of our, our daily intake of, of music, you know. So then, uh, you know, after that, you know, when we, when we decided we wanted to, uh, you know, take up music, which was like around 11 years old, our dad got really excited because he was a musician at one point in his life, too. At 17, mm-hmm. he played with the Fort Lauderdale Symphony Orchestra. And he was really serious about percussion. Uh, he was the principal timpanist there. So he always loved jazz. He never tried to play it, but he, a cousin turned him on to jazz and he never went back. Like he listened to all of the best uh, of, of the jazz you know, genre. So you know, when, once we decided we wanted to take up music, he got really excited. And um, when, we, when we took up music, we started trying to play jazz right away. Because mm-hmm. that's what we've been listening to the the entire time, you know. Um, so we we started trying to, of course, imitate, you know, some of the, our favorite players, and uh, we just started falling in love with it. Like we practiced all the time. They never had to tell us to practice. We were just on our instruments, like going berserk, like you know, all day long. Uh, when we got enough proficiency to improvise and and play with each other that's what we did all the time we would shed together as a duo you mm-hmm. know drum drums and sax you know trying to be trained in elvin or whatever trying to go at it and 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 you know 
have a conversation with one another. Uh, we do that like all day long until our dad came into the room and was like this. He gave us a little <laughs> signal <laughs> to stop, you know, because we'd be, you know, going, going bashing at it, you know. And, uh, you know, it just it just grew from there. Like our, our love for music just kept on growing. It's, it's still growing to this day. And, you know, it's just a wonderful uh, environment to have grown up in. Yeah. So even when dad wasn't around, you're still listening to the same stuff that, that your dad listened to. I know for me, yeah. I, you know, my parents were, it's interesting because my, you know, my parents would listen to particular music and I'd be listening to something else. But now when I hear yeah. that music, it, I, I like that, you know, I like the stuff that my parents were listening to, but for you, you, nice. you were all listening to the same stuff. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know if it's different for, for other people, but it just seemed like because we were exposed to it before we even got out of the womb, like from from day one, you know, it's just like it just became a part of like what we listened to. Of yeah. course, we listened to hip hop and everything, you know, things that our parents didn't really, uh, you know, mess with. But um, it was just always a part of everything that we listened to. Yeah. Sure, sure. What uh, oh, I, I was going to ask you about you mentioned uh, what you were listening to in hip hop, and I completely lost my train of thought of what I was what I was going to ask you. Uh, right. Oh, why was it? Why the drums? What was it about the drums that spoke to you All right. at that time? All right. When I when I saw my dad play at a cookout, that was the first time I didn't even know he could play an instrument. I just knew that he played all this great music around the house. Um, but we had a, a cookout in the neighborhood, and you know, some of the uh, people in the neighborhood decided to get together and put together a band to entertain uh, everybody at the cookout. And my dad had said that he played drums. And I said, really, you play drums? He said, yeah, I play drums. And he got on the drum set and he started playing and it sounded great. <laughs> you know, I was just like, wow. Like, like, why don't you do this more often? Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, wow. You know, I didn't know that you played the drums. Uh, so once I saw that, I saw the, all of the, the, the different sounds that you could get out of this one instrument. It was basically several instruments in one, and I was just marveling at all of the different sounds that you could make. Um, I just I started beating on my desks at, at school and stuff like that. Like <laughs> I just tried to imitate, you know, drummers and all of that kind of stuff. And I really I was very interested in it from that from that point on. Yeah. I'm, I was going to say that I'm surprised that you started at I mean, sort of a later age, right? 11, I hear, yeah. pe you know, you hear people all the time, oh, I started when I was two and I was three, and then you find out, well, I, I would go to church all the time and there was music there, or my parents were musicians right. or my parents played, but you didn't yeah. even know that your dad was a musician. Exactly. I mean, you hear all yeah. this great music, but my guess is if you knew that he was a musician, he was playing in the house, you probably would have started started a lot earlier, right? Probably. I probably would have started a lot earlier. Also, if I had gone to church, uh, it probably would have started uh, earlier. Like we, we, we went to church uh, very early on, but then uh, eventually, you know, we stopped going to church. Mm -hmm. But I think if we, we had stayed in church and, you know, interacted with the choir and the band and all that kind of stuff, it, it probably would have began sooner. Sure. Do you yeah. feel like some of your contemporaries that or maybe when you even when you were younger started mm -hmm. a lot earlier than you did you feel like you had some catching up to do i i had a i have a lot of uh friends you know um musician friends who have that church background and i'm i'm kind of jealous of it but at the same time i i embrace my story too uh, everybody's got their own story mm -hmm. um but i i do i do um look at that and i i always you know say to myself wow like what if i had started in church you know what if i had started at uh an even earlier age like what would have happened then you know? sure sure yeah. i i also think that you you had the 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 great fortune of having your brother where you know at 11 yeah. years old not a lot of people are gigging gigging whether it be in your house or gigging out you know with other yeah. people so yeah. Do you feel like that helped in your development too with with just learning learning about how to play with others? Yeah, I think um having my brother around uh definitely gave me um 
the wherewithal uh, about having a dialogue when you when you play mm -hmm. uh, to 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 address music as a language, you know, and to uh, you know literally have a conversation with the musicians that you're on stage with and have that kind of rapport. So it, it definitely mm -hmm. helped with that. Yeah. Can you speak to that 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 language that you talk about? Yeah. I think developing that is a is a really hard thing to do. You can't read a book on mm -hmm. how to develop, you know, how to speak behind the drums and how to interact with other people. Right. Um and and I you know, I always like to say that you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So, right. so a lot of times you're on the bandstand and you think you're playing something that's really great, but, but then someone comes along and says, Hey, you're not really communicating well on the stage or something like that. Um, yeah. So how, and I, and I think this is a hard question to answer, but how do you know mm -hmm. whether you're communicating or not? And if, and if you feel like you're not, how do you develop that skill? Well, the, the first thing I want to stress um, is when the, the more you listen the, the, the more you're, uh, the more able you'll be to have a great conversation. That goes like literally when you're talking to somebody, the, the more you mm -hmm. listen to them and what they're expressing, uh, the more, the better you can have a, you know, a great response to what they're saying and a, a great interaction with what they're saying. So I'd say that the, the, the biggest thing uh, when, when I go to play, is I open my, up my ears and I, I just, you know, I focus on what I'm hearing, the music that I'm taking in so that I can respond accordingly. Now, another thing that you can do to develop a uh, conversation is to just listen to a lot, a lot, a lot of records. And listen, focus, like make your listening focused on the dialogue and the uh you know how the puzzle fits you know with you know the interaction between the musicians the 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 you know i sometimes i listen to chick korea he's a very percussive piano player mm -hmm. and i listen to to how he responds to like like say a trumpet player like blue mitchell he's on that uh album with blue mitchell and al foster's on drums uh, another great listener I listen to the dialogue. I listen to how the pu the puzzle pieces and how they fit with what Blue Mitchell is playing and what Al Foster is playing. And I, you know, I do that with every album that I listen to. I those musicians are interacting with each other and communicating with each other. Uh, mm -hmm. So broaden your vo your vocabulary. You know, the more you the more you're around the English language or the, the French language or whatever language that you're trying to immerse yourself in, the better you'll be able to speak it, the better you'll be able to articulate yourself. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with this language of music. The more you're accustomed to uh, listening to uh, the dialogue happen and listening to, to people who articulate it well, the better you'll articulate it. Sure. And, and the idea of, of opening up your ears, whether it be in a rehearsal setting or, or at a gig or when you're listening to records, um, yeah. and from a playing standpoint, just letting the music and let what, what the others are playing start to dictate what you play. Exactly. Is that how you, is that how you've always approached it? Yes, that's exactly how I approach it. Um, one of my favorite, uh, saxophonists and musicians in the entire world is Branford Marsalis. Mm -hmm. He has uh, a we video out. We won't tell your out. brother you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said one of them. <laughs> one of them, right, you right. know, one of, the, one of the, my favorite things that I, I ever heard him say, because he says a lot of, uh, you know, poignant things uh, when he's talking, very intelligent, and he knows the music very well. But he has a video entitled The Music Tells You, with Jeff Tain Watts and Bob Hurst on it. Um, when he talks about, when he talks about the phrase that gave that video, the title that it has, the music tells you, it was very, very clear. Cause I already knew it before, but when I heard him speak about it, it made a lot of sense. He said, you know, he was going off about music. He was going off about 
knowing what's, what to play, when to play it, and all of that kind of stuff. And he said, the music tells you what to play. The music informs you on what's available and what's not available. The mm-hmm. more you listen, the better you'll be able to respond. And sure. that, that's, that's something that I've you know, always believed, even before I heard him say that. But he, hearing him say it and articulate it in that way kind of just solidified it for, for me. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot about when people want to play with other people's and or want to play with other people. And it's not because this person is, you know, dominating the conversation or think about people that you, you'd like to have a conversation with, you know, exactly. it's not someone that doesn't let you talk. And when exactly. you say something, they don't acknowledge what you say and they just keep talking right past you. They're listening Definitely. to respond, not listening to listen. Definitely. And there's a, uh, like there's a there's a book that i read it's about um about negotiating but this guy he went to this uh to this event and all he did was ask people questions about themselves he didn't talk about himself at all all he did was ask questions and by the end of the the seminar for a couple days he was like the hit of the sem. everyone was like oh my god this guy's great he's amazing have you met him and he was like i didn't talk about myself at all all i did was ask people questions and listen and i and it reminded me of you saying you know, really opening up your ears, letting, yeah. letting people know that you're listening to them and, and responding to what they're saying, they're not, okay, you just said something. I don't want to hear that. Let me just, here's the thing that right. I'm trying to say and just, exactly. and, and really over overcoming that conversation. Definitely. Definitely. You know, also, I, also having you know, also, you know, chops are very important. They're not the most important thing, but they're definitely one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more, the more, the more technical ability you have, the better you are to, you know, communicate and and respond accordingly. So that that also plays into it too. Yeah, and I, yeah. I and I think that the the that comes with maturity of of knowing what to do with those chops, knowing when right. to talk, you know, when when to hold back, when to not talk over someone, when to right. listen. You know all of right. that stuff. Definitely. What was what was your development like um, once you started playing drums and and starting to move through your career? I know that you were playing with your brother, but but were yeah. you teaming up with other people? Were you playing with other people? Um, were you taking mm-hmm. lessons? How did your development go? Development um, started. You know. You know. Uh, I think. Uh, an important part of my development was right at the beginning when I picked up an instrument because I wanted to play the drums right away. Mm-hmm. But uh, my band te- teacher wanted me to start on a melodic or a harmonic instrument before I played the drums. And I think because he, he did that, that I have a heightened sensibility uh, towards, uh, you know, communicating with those types of instruments through my instrument and playing, trying to play melodically on my instrument. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what he did right there was a key component to my development. So I I thank him for not letting me, you know, attack the drums like right away. I Mm -hmm. I picked up the trombone. I was mad because I wanted to play the drums. (laughs) So I like looked over at the trombone. I said, yeah, I'll play that thing. (laughs) And I played it for a while. I got pretty good on it. I could get a good sound out of it. I was section leader and all that kind of stuff, but I just really wanted to play the drums and I begged my band teacher and that's the way he let me. So that's one, one thing. And I think, uh, you know, just playing, you know, I was always surrounded by talented people, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, in middle school, I was surrounded by some very talented musicians when it really, really opened up was when I got into high school because we decided we had already decided that we wanted to be serious about music uh, before high school even came along. So we went to New World School of the Arts, and there you've got like some of the most talented people around, and there you're around them, and uh, the the key people that I can remember uh, were Dion Tucker, who who was a trombone player that. Uh, both me and my brother knew since middle school, basically our best friend uh, mm-hmm. from the crib from Miami. But then it, when I got to high school, I met uh, Michael and Robert Rodriguez, who are both on the New York scene right now, 
as well. Uh, Michael plays trumpet and Robert Rodriguez plays piano. Uh, at that time, they were doubling, like, you know, they were doing other stuff too. Like Michael also played guitar and then Robert also played drums, you know. So being around people like that, you know, uh, really inspired me to get really good at, um, at, at what I do and, you know, just immerse myself in, in the music. Um, you know, so those are some key players. But then we, we, we got to uh, uh, college and we went to new school for social research. Even more exposure to, to great musicians because not only were they in the school, but the city itself is just, you know, thriving with, you know, uh, the best talent, uh, the, the, the world's greatest musicians you could ever come across. So, you know, in school, um, I came across Robert Glasper. He was mm -hmm. uh, in my, my first ensemble in, in college was Robert Glasper on piano. Mike Marino was on guitar. Cat uh, Henry was on vocals. Uh, Seneca Black was on trumpet. Carlos Henriquez, who plays with Lincoln Center, was on bass. Uh, my brother was in that group, and I was in that group. Nice. And playing with those people, also interacting with some of the, the upperclassmen, like Marcus Baylor on drums, uh, Jazz Sawyer on drums, uh, Kenyatta Beasley was there, K Casey Benjamin, who plays with Robert's Experiment. Um, all of these people were there, Gregoire Murray, uh, just being around them all the time, experiencing their personalities, experiencing playing with them, experiencing listening to them mm -hmm. was a great experience. Uh, I had great teachers, uh, and I, I had many teachers when I was in college. I started with Joe Chambers <clears throat> for private lessons, and then uh, I wanted a bass player's point of view. So... I took up lessons with Buster Williams. That's probably the most key, you know, point of my development is just hooking up with a bass player and learning what makes the music uh, propel and move. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, uh, I hooked up with John Riley. You know, uh, I hooked up with Ralph Peterson. Very, very, very instrumental in my development. Yeah. Uh, he, he passed along some of the most helpful jewels. You know, uh, Michael Carvin as well. Um, yeah, I love Carl, that. Carl Allen, you know, was also an instructor of mine. Man, and he you lived started right around everybody. the corner for me. Yeah, Louis Nash, uh, Jimmy Cobb, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to switch teachers almost every semester. Some, some people I stayed longer with, but I wanted to switch up and, and get a broad sense of what to do. A broad right. sense of guidance and and you know influence, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah. ap after that, it was kind of like you know uh, Russell Malone was key in my development. I, I played in his band for five years. Uh, it was very straight ahead, and uh, got me to you know uh, concentrate on being tasteful on the drums and not just play a whole pile of stuff all the time, but mm -hmm. to really listen very well and, and be tasty with what's what I did. Uh, when I got into Ravi's band, it was more exploratory. It was more like, okay, let's see what's available. Let's, let's, let's go, let's be, you know, travelers, let's be adventurers and, mm -hmm. and see what's out there. So it opened up my mind a lot. Uh, you know, uh, when Marsalis was also somebody I played with early on, I played in his quintet for five years. Uh, that was a great experience. Um, of course, steeply based in the tradition. Right. Uh, playing with vocalists like Nina Freelon, Liz Wright, uh, Cassandra Wilson uh, made me understand how uh, instrumentalists can interact with the vocalists and make them also a part of that entire you know, thing. Like I'd been around a lot of instrumental jazz, not a lot of vocalists. Mm -hmm. So working with them gave me that kind of development too, you know, that kind of ear, you know, and just, you know, the, as time went on, I, I became a band leader myself. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I was, I started writing that had a lot to do with my development. You know, um, I think, you know, like I, I was auditioning for some, some teaching spots and they asked mm -hmm. me, how, how do you develop, uh, you know, reading skills? 
I think one of the best things to do to develop reading skills is to actually write your own yeah. music because you hear these figures in your head. You're like, okay, how do I write that crazy idea down rhythmically? Yeah. But then when you figure out how to write that down rhythmically, it stays in your head forever. So when you see that same phrase on somebody else's music, guess what? You know how it goes. Mm -hmm. You can sing it back because you've, yep. you've you know, uh, been around that phrase. So, you know, all of these things help. Stock up on your favorite Evans and Promark products this holiday season with 20% off plus free shipping using the promo code RESOURCE20. Evans drumheads are the most technologically advanced drumheads on earth with revolutionary products such as EMAD, Hydraulic, and the UV series. These Evans drumheads are designed to solve sonic problems for drummers. And don't forget about Promark drumsticks, and it's more than just a pair of sticks. It's an opportunity for all drummers to break barriers of convention and make their mark. Every Promark drumstick has been perfected with ProMatch, Promark's multi-phase weight and pitch sorting process. This ensures unrivaled consistency, not only from stick to stick, but also from pair to pair. And there are two unique performance pillars with Promark. You have Promark, home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines alongside cutting-edge innovations like Active Grip and Fire Grain. Then you have Promark Classic, which is a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. And the home of the front-weighted, power-focused forward and attack line, including Promark's iconic Shirakashi Oak. So head over to Diodario.com and use promo code RESOURCE20 at checkout. That's Diodario.com, promo code RESOURCE20. Limited one-time use per customer, and it expires on December 31st. Analog sound for a digital world is finally here. Sonar has transformed the original sonar sound look and feel of the 50s, 60s, and 70s drums into a contemporary concept called the Sonar Vintage Series. Complete with an updated teardrop lug design, round bearing edges for warm, deep, low-end tone, a reissue of the classic iron-shaped bass drum bracket, and exciting finishes, the Sonar Vintage Series is the obvious choice for anyone who has one eye on the past and one eye on the future. For more information, visit sonar.com. I want to rewind a little bit. You had mentioned about starting out and, they, and your teacher made you play a melodic instrument. Why mm -hmm. do you think that we don't look at drums as a melodic instrument? Um, I think the reason why we don't look at drums as a melodic instrument is because it doesn't have uh, a definite pitch uh, right away. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, there's, it, there's a lot of work that goes into tuning it to a definite pitch. Um, but it definitely is a melodic instrument. I mean, every, every drum has its own pitch and they're pitched differently. Um, so there, there definitely is a, a melodic aspect to it. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I guess, because, because it doesn't have a definite pitch, you know. Yeah. I guess that's why, why people don't look at it as, as a melodic instrument. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I, to me, it feels like when you hear someone play, you can hear whether or not they're approaching it melodically. And the people who Definitely. do, we all say, oh, they're, they sound so great. Even if they're just playing right. just a, a simple two and four, oh, that sounds so yeah. good. And then right. people can play the same exact beat and they can play it the same exact way at the same exact tempo. But if they're thinking of it as, doom, doom, God, doom, doom, and just think of it right. as a boxed in thing, it just doesn't, right. it just doesn't feel the same. Exactly. Exactly. You gotta, I think the, the, my favorite drummers are drummers who play lyrically. You know, you can hear uh, lyrics to everything that they play. You can hear phrases, you can hear melody, you can hear even the harmony go by when they take mm -hmm. a drum solo. So, yeah. Yeah. Not easy, not easy to do, but. Not easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you would, you'd mentioned, um, you know, through your development, learning, playing with different players, learning to have more restraint and not just play everything that you can. Yeah. Was it, did it get harder? The better you got as a player in terms of mm -hmm. technical prowess, was it harder for you to hold back because you're thinking I can, Oh my God, I can do so much stuff here. Uh, mm -hmm. Was, was it harder for you the better that you got from a technical standpoint to hold back? 
the the luckily the more chops I gained on the instrument, uh, the more experience I was getting from playing with people who were like, "Hey, chill, like listen, you know, be be musical, you know, don't play everything you know at the same time, you know." Right. I remember one jam session I went to when I was very young, when I just got to New York. I went to Cleopatra's Needle, you know, and uh, Willie Jones uh, was there. Mm-hmm. And I played, and I, I thought I sounded good and everything. And then I, I sat down, and then Willie came over. He said, hey, man, you sound great, man, but let me tell you something. You know, I just wanted to lay something on you. Uh, don't play everything you know in one drum solo. He took a drum solo out there. It was fantastic, but you know, you the, the more you know, you don't play everything you know all at once. The longer you'll go, you mm-hmm. know. And that stuck with me to this day. You know, I remember him, come, you know, uh, going up to me years later and saying, "Oh man, I remember going up to you at Cleopatra's Needle. You probably think I'm a jerk or something like that." I said, "No, <laughs> no, no. It's the opposite. Like I, yeah. I can't thank you enough." for laying that, that, those jewels on me, yeah, you know, so that I could be a better player. Like I, I, to this day, anybody who got in my butt about anything, anybody who screamed at me, mm-hmm. anybody who told me about myself, anybody who wanted me to get better and, and expected more of me, I have nothing but appreciation for them because that's what part of your, your seasoning. So right. like as, as I was getting more chops, I was also getting that. So luckily, those two met in the middle, and you know, I calmed down as I got better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 that makes yeah. sense. And it, that's a funny story about Willie. Like, as as if anyone could confuse Willie with like being a jerk, right? He's like, right, nice, right. He's like nice the nicest dude. dude on the yeah. planet. Yeah, um, definitely. And and I think that's such an important thing. And I know that through through my own development, like getting with much better players than myself and having them tell like i don't need to walk off the, the bandstand and everyone's like oh man you sound amazing you're the greatest drummer in the world you know like that doesn't right, right. that doesn't do anything for you um exactly but how but how do you how do you how do you suggest that you that others get in the room with better musicians than themselves to get the the schooling or get taken under their wing or or to say hey you know don't you know don't play that thing here or, or you need to work on mm-hmm. this thing or or whatever it is well, the first thing you do, I think the first approach is to, you know, just uh, simply ask, ask, you know, players that are better than you. Hey, let's get together and do a session. You want to go and get together and do a session? Sometimes they'll be like, oh, I don't have time for that, blah, 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 blah. That's the first approach. If that doesn't work, it, it might work for some, might not work for, for some others. Mm-hmm. Now, the second approach is to approach with extreme humility in your heart and to, to go to them and say, hey, you know, I just want to say that I would really, really love and appreciate to, to have your time to, to play with you and to learn from you musically, you know, how I can get better and, 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 and just grow from, from being around you and, and playing with you and interacting with you musically because they know that you respect them. They know Mm -hmm. that you respect their time and they know that their time with you is probably not going to be wasted because you look up to them and you really want what they have to offer. Right. So I think those are like the best ways, but another good way is to just go to jam sessions. You'll always play with somebody better than you you know, at a jam session, you know, there's going to be somebody that's, that's really, really kicking butt. So, mm-hmm. um, go to as many jazz jam sessions as you can, uh, get what you can get from there. And when you go to a jam session, don't get upset if you don't get called up, uh, use that experience as a listening experience. I, I see a lot of people go to jam sessions and they get upset if they don't get called right away or they don't get called for the, the entire night. Guess what? That was your opportunity to just listen and listen to some of the better players up mm-hmm. there on the stage, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's the that's the 
immaturity and the ego thinking, Oh, I didn't get caught up. And, and you have, you know, the way that you just said it, if you can, if you can approach that with more maturity and say, okay, right. well, I'll just sit here for three hours and keep my ears open and listen. Exactly. Yeah. And always, always yeah. something to learn for sure. Definitely. Um, I know that, that you, a lot of the work that you did was a sideman and then branched off and started doing your own thing and, and becoming a band leader. Yeah. You would mention you would mention the writing side of things that you you've been writing from an early age. Um, yeah. Was it? Did you find it? Did you find it more difficult to go out on your own and and write the material or hire other people to write with you and then book the shows and 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 all of that stuff? Yeah, I did. You know, I I kind of started later than my brother um, as a band leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my brother was band leading from the get go. Like once he got to New York. He had an idea of what he wanted to do, the concept he wanted to do, and, and he went for it. Um, I waited a little longer. Like, I think around 2009 is when I uh, released my, my first album. Um, so I started a little later with writing things and, and you know, uh, getting people together, having an idea of like what instrumentation I wanted in my group. All of that kind of thing, how I wanted it to sound. Uh, um, some people that gave me uh, extreme confidence in being a band leader are Robert Glasper himself and uh, a vocalist that I went to school with. Her name was Valerie Trout. Uh, how Robert encouraged me, uh, he just really loved my, my music. Every time I brought a, a tune in to the, to the ensemble that we were in school and also uh, to my brother's group, um, I wrote a few tunes for my brother's group to play, and Robert was in there. Uh, he'd always be so encouraging, be like, EJ, you write wonderful music, man. Like, you're like one of my favorite drummer composers, you know. And, you know, so that gave me a lot of confidence because I thought he was a great composer. Mm-hmm. And I, I also asked him, I said, what's, you know, what's, what's a key component to, to being a great composer? And he said, always think about lyrics. Always think about words to what you're writing. If you, if you, if you can't figure out any words to what you're writing, it's mm-hmm. probably not that great of a song. You know? uh, it has to come from a lyrical aspect. You know? And it, it made a lot of sense. You know? mm. But then uh, one time I was playing one of my tunes on the piano at New School. And a great vocalist from Oakland, California, named Valerie Trout, who we went to school with, she came into the room as I was playing the song. And she said, that's a beautiful song. Who wrote that? Is that yours? I said, yeah, that's my song. She said, you know what? I can really hear uh, vocals to your, to your music. You know, I can hear, you know, somebody singing to your music. She was like, you should write more. Like, I didn't know that you could write music, you know? So... Things like that. People, people along the way kind of encouraging me mm-hmm. and, and saying, hey, man, you should get out there and, and, and do it more. You know, that's yeah. what kind of pushed me to, to get out there later on and do it. You know? Do you perform on piano, too, or do you only write on piano? I only write on piano. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any, any chops to, to, to improvise <laughs> or anything like that. But no. I definitely have like baseline chops and left hand voicing chops in the right hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you look at them as as two different disciplines? And well, I mean, they're obviously two different disciplines. But do you enjoy mm-hmm. writing uh, more or less than playing, or do you look at them as sort of two opposite things that you love equally? I kind of switch off between which I like better, you know, like right. during, dur- during COVID, um, I wrote much more than I, than I practiced. You know, yeah. I, I definitely practiced. I definitely tightened my chops up. Uh, but for the most time, for the most uh, part, I was composing. I was, I was writing a lot of music. It, that's the thing, you know, I have more of a, a hand on drumming. I have less of a hand on composing. So I wanted to be a better composer and get that more, you know, tied with my drumming. So mm-hmm. I just wrote a lot. I wrote two suites during the, the whole lockdown, you know, uh, twilight zone that we were in. I was just right. writing, writing a lot of music. 
But then there's sometimes where I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, like when I'm learning a new, a new. That's that's the thing. It's like always keep yourself learning new things because that's how you keep the interest. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whenever I'm learning something new on the drums, you know, I'm kind of just addicted to the drums. Nothing else. Everything yeah. else falls behind. You know, I'm just okay. I'm I'm focused on this new thing that I'm learning, and I'm I'm not gonna stop until I get it. Like I'm just driven to do that one thing and learn that one thing, new thing, you know, that I don't have under my hands. I never sound good when I practice. I always sound like crap because I'm learning something new. I always want to learn something new. How do you balance what you're, well, this is maybe a a two-part question. How do you balance uh, all of these things that you want to work on and determining what deserves your time and what needs to be set on the back burner? Um, mm-hmm. I guess that would be the first question. And the follow-up to that is how do you decide what you're going to practice when you're in the practice room? Okay. Well, um, as far as deciding which one gets uh, the attention more, I just, I just, I go with the, the thing that I want to do the most. Why? Because attention and focus are very important when you put in time to your instrument or put in time into composing and all of that kind of stuff, the thing that you want to do the most, that's what you're going to concentrate on the most. And that's the one that you're going to grow the most in at that particular time, because Mm -hmm. your mind and your, your whole spirit, everything about you is into that. So whatever, whatever you can really, really focus on, that's what you should be doing. You know, that's what mm-hmm. you should put put uh, your time in. That's what should take uh, priority at that moment. Um, what was the there was the second part to your question? What so when when you are you're deciding, OK, I'm going to go into the shed and practice. Right. What how do you how do you choose what to practice? Oh, OK. When the, the, the thing that I, I always tell students about practicing is something that I had to learn myself which is you don't have to practice everything in one day. You, the, the great thing about the week is there's seven days. So guess what? There's seven different things that you can concentrate on. So if you concentrate on one thing, one different thing, each of those seven days, by the end of the month, you've put in so much time and focus into seven different things rather than trying to practice them all at once and not really giving them the attention that they need. Mm -hmm. So whenever I go to practice, I say, I'm going to focus on one thing. I may warm up and do something else. I may, you know, get sidetracked and go into something else, but I always focus on one thing. You know, the -hmm. first thing I, I like to do before any, any practice session is warm up on rudiments. The rudimental ritual, uh, as taught by Alan Dawson, I use that as a warm up. I, I memorized it, it's in my head. I don't mm-hmm. need the book anymore. So I warm up my, either just my hands or I'll sit at the drums and do both the feet along with the hands. If, if anybody listening out there is unfamiliar, there's a samba pattern going on between the bass drum and the hi hat along with. 300 something rudiments on top of that. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a great composition. It's a great exercise. It's a um, bear too. I mean, it's, exactly, it's not yeah. easy. Exactly. What that does, it kind of stimulates everything. It stimulates uh, my ear. You know, uh, there's, there's rudiments where it's like you, you play them, you know, you're playing in 4-4, but you're, you're playing at an eighth note level, one root, the same rudiment. And then you play it at a triplet level, and then you play it at a sixteenth note level. It gets you, and it, it especially when it gets to the triplet level, it's rubbing against what you're playing with your feet. So it's getting your ears in tune, it's getting your hands in tune, it's getting your sense of melody in tune. Guess what? It's like it's opening up your entire musical world, and it sets the tone for what you're gonna practice later on. You know? Yeah. Um, I practice a lot of times. If, if I can't find something to practice, my default is to play with records. 
I put mm. my favorite record on or whatever record I, I want to practice to, put it in my headphones, and I, pl I play along with it, and I try to pr practice it and, and give it the best I got. Mm -hmm. And then usually I go into something else, you know. But if right. I can't find anything else, that's my default. Put on an album and practice. And and not like, not play the Instagram version where you're chopping all over the entire song. Exactly. <laughs> but you're playing the song. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Definitely. What what influences what you practice when you go into the into the room beforehand? Are you playing on a gig and say, oh, I need to work on that and make a note of it and go back and mm -hmm. and play it, or is it um, what's informing your or your decisions about what to hit when you get in the shed? Definitely gigs. Uh, lost battles, <laughs> lost lost battles will always inform me on what to on what to pray. You know, like practice. You know, uh, on 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 Lakeisha's uh, gig. I think when I first got on Lakeisha Benjamin's uh, in Lakeisha Benjamin's band, um, we were playing a lot of. You know, she's playing a lot of Coltrane's music, uh, both John and Alice Coltrane. But with John Coltrane's music, she's taking a lot of those songs that I'm used to hearing slower. She's taking them a lot uh, faster than I'm used to hearing them. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was kind of kicking my ass at first. So, you know, I said to myself, you know what? I need to practice those same tunes at uh, faster tempos and get used to hearing them up tempo, you know, and being able to address them and, and play them, you know, the right way, interpret them the right way. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's very important because, you know, part of being able to play faster is being able to hear faster, you know? So if you don't train your ear to hear faster, you won't be able to play faster. How do you, you train know, so. your ear to hear, to hear faster? You, you simply, you know, well, a, a trick that I do is I play whatever I, whatever I, uh, want to get faster. I, I set a, te uh, a goal tempo that I want, and then I uh, drop the metronome 10 clicks below that. And I practice whatever uh, I want to learn. I practice it at that slower tempo, 10, 10 clicks below. I practice that for, for a long time, you know, hours. Mm -hmm. And then I move it up 10 clicks, and then I play it at the tempo that I'm going for. Usually that that makes me grow much faster in, hmm. in terms of getting something under my hand and being able to play it faster than I, I was able to do before. Right. Well, yeah. I feel like we, we all, all drummers suffer from this where we need to play it at 120. We go 60 and, for, and play it for 30 seconds and they're like, okay, mm -hmm. I got it. 90, right, right. play that for 37 seconds right. and then 120 exactly. and it sounds like crap at 120 and you're right. like, yeah, I got exactly. it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> like spend a lot of time playing it slow. The slower you can play something, the faster you can play it. If, yeah. if, now, let's say I move it up 10 clicks and I still can't play it at that faster tempo, guess what? I'm going slower. I'm going maybe 15 or 20 clicks below the tempo that I want to get at. Yeah. And I play it there. And then I go up to 10 clicks. And then I go to the, the tempo that I want. Mm -hmm. But I spend a lot of time at the sl slower tempos. Yeah. The other, yeah. you know, the other night I, I, I had, I was just sitting here and I was like, oh, I'm just going to grab the pad. And literally for five minutes, I was like waiting for my wife. And yeah. I was just like, oh, I'll just play some paradiddles. And I was like, man, they don't yeah. sound super sharp. So I dropped it down to 40 beats per minute. And was mm. like, man, do you want to separate the men from the boys? You've said it 40 beats per minute. I was like, these sound horrible. Yeah, yeah. These, exactly. I was like, man, these <laughs> these need work for like exactly, a lot yeah. of work. <laughs> yeah. Try this is like, yeah, you could probably play that paradiddle at like whatever, 120, but like, can you play it at like 80 or something? Right. You know, it's yeah. like can you play it at ballad tempo? That's yeah. what you really know if you have something under your hands. And play and it, it smooth and yeah, yeah. yeah. And not have mm -hmm. all these accents in it and and Definitely. everything and you know it's man that's it's not a I think the I I think a lot of times and you know I'm speaking for myself too I think a lot of times I we as drummers get into this thought process where our ego gets the best of us and you say Definitely. I should already be able to play this thing or I shouldn't right. have to go back and and work on this thing so you right. either don't do it or you practice it for three minutes and and give up on it because you're like, ah, exactly. I've been playing for 20 years. This is, I can, I can play this stuff. 
Exactly. Um, it's almost why like is the that? Mo- I don't know. I, I, I you know, it, we want to be, we want to be uh, great. We want to be fast. We want to have chops, whatever, uh, right away. But what we don't realize is the more patience we have with ourselves, uh, the, the, the sooner we'll get there because, mm-hmm. you know, if you really pace yourself and you go at a, go at that slower tempo, faster tempo, when you get there, going to give you less trouble, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're, you're cleaning up, you're kind of cleaning up all of those little flaws in, in the way you're holding the stick or the way you're, you know, using the rebound or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you're cleaning up all of that stuff through those really slow, deliberate movements. Mm-hmm. You know? So the more we realize that, the better we are. Yeah, I yeah. agree. That reminds me, and I don't know who I I want to say it was Bruce Lee, but I I might be wrong. But there was some mm-hmm. there was a reporter who went to work with someone, and I think it was Bruce Lee, and they were going through these moves and uh and he was like they were working on these moves for like weeks, just this yeah. one move. And he was like, when are we going on to the second move? And right. Bruce Lee was like, if you don't know that this is the second move, then we need mm. to go back to the first move. You know, right. like that, right, he was right. like, the, this, it was so subtle, the, the change in the movement. He was like, oh, you didn't realize that we're already on the second move. Right. We need to go back to the first move. And it's like, wow, just like <laughs> painstaking, you know, right. just very <laughs> slow, slow, gradual movements. It just reminds me of that, of like, you know, yeah. I really believe that if you sit, you know, if you sit down and practice something really slow and just dissect it, it'll come to you so much faster if we can Definitely. just get our egos out of the way. Definitely. A lot, a lot of times, you know, some, that's the thing. A, a lot of times uh, when we're practicing, uh, we'll be able to play, you know, let's say I'm pre- playing the rudimental ritual, you know, at whatever, uh, half note equals 115 or something like that right uh the next day i might not you know i'll play, probably play it there and it sounds like crap you know mm-hmm. uh but then the day after that i'll probably be able to play faster like it's always different from day to day like the the, the way you uh can handle uh a certain tempo may vary from the last day that you played it mm-hmm. you know um so the, the idea is to not get frustrated when that happens, not to give up when that happens, but to simply go back, you know, if, it, if you can't play it at that tempo, stop playing at that tempo, go much slower mm-hmm. and gradually work your way up and keep on doing that. And gradually, you know, you'll get there, you know, yeah. it's just, you just got to be patient. You know, when, when we get too in a hurry, that, that's when we're, we're going to lose the battle. <laughs> yeah and i think it becomes yeah. a vicious cycle too because you're impatient and yeah. you're you're trying to practice things faster or blow through them quicker you don't then right. you're not seeing progress you don't feel like you're getting better and it's right. like it just turns into this vicious cycle that can be you know it can be really damning for for musicians oh, yeah. for sure Definitely. for their headspace you know their their want to practice and and i Definitely. like i've been there too i mean i think that you know it's it, it's a uh, i think it's something that haunts all of us from time to time Definitely, definitely. So now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, about you playing live. And now that sort of the the we're sort of seeing maybe seeing some light at the end of the tunnel with uh, with the pandemic and everything. How are how mm-hmm. are live shows coming back for you? And and what do you have planned for the end of this year and and looking into twenty twenty two? Man, it's it's been great uh, coming back uh, into this life that I knew before COVID. Uh, revisiting that uh, after being, you know, kind of sat down for a long time and, and not being able to play for, for other human beings. It is so incredible. It's, it's you know, the people uh, in the audience appreciate the music much, much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the energy that we feel on the stage is that much more intense. Uh, we, we, now really understand the the importance of music what it, the beauty that it brings into our lives uh what it does for humanity you know the the mm-hmm. what the 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 medicine that it uh serves as you know to to everyone and and everything that they're going through um 
I think there's a deeper understanding of the arts now, now that we had to do away with them for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, there's a frustrating, you know, uh, traveling issue where it's like you have to fill out all of these passenger locator forms everywhere you go. Right. Uh, you got to take COVID tests much more often, you know, mm -hmm. now. Um, but whenever I get frustrated with those little things, you know, I remember the time where I was in the pandemic and, and just, you know, not able to do this. And then I'm able to get through it much yeah, better. You know, whenever, sure. whenever I have a frustration now, I remember, wait, remember what you were doing in 2020. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, let's go there for a second. Yeah, exactly. And now what you're doing now is like, stop complaining. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's different. It's a different uh, energy, you know, um, deeper appreciation. Uh, the music that I'm making, the music that everybody is making is on a much deeper level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I said, uh, during 2020 that I was like, once, you know, once we come out of this, I think that there's so much pent up energy and, and pent up want for live music. And I mean, during yeah. the pandemic, I was like, I'll go pay a lot of money to see a really horrible band live right now. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'm glad to see that like, you know, mute people are starving for music, man. Like they, once yeah. we could start, you could you know gigs are opening back up like people are out in droves to see live music which is amazing to see and Definitely. maybe even and like dare i say maybe even more so and and you know maybe there's maybe there's even a resurgence of like some live shows coming out you know like little or clubs and that were replaced by maybe some djs maybe there's some more live music that's going to be in there i don't know i hope so but it seems like it's I coming back so really good I, I think everybody you know the live streams thank god for the live streams because i yeah. don't know what we would have done if we weren't able to do that during the whole lockdown mm -hmm. but i think after experiencing the live streams and seeing how how less uh you know soulful that was to to listen to music in that way i think it gave everybody a deeper much deeper appreciation for, for live music and, and going out to, to hear it and stuff. And that's, that's one thing. Uh, another thing um, is that not only as a musician do I have a, a deeper appreciation for music, also as a listener, I have a deeper appreciation for music. I, uh, you know, went to go see Terrence Blanchard's opera, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Fire Shut Up In My Bones. That was an incredible achievement. God, I don't even, I don't even know. I talked to him beforehand before I saw that. I, I, right. He came in the Mesro. He was sitting right next to at the bar to me, and we were having drinks talking about it. I, I forgot to ask him how long he worked on that because I know that. I didn't even know he came out with an opera. Years. Oh, yeah. It's at, it was at Metropolitan uh, uh, Met, Met Opera House. Um, wow. From like uh, late September to like mid uh, October, it was there. And let me tell you, man, that was an incredible achievement. I couldn't yeah. believe it was a masterpiece. Yeah. You know, it That's was just. Awesome. I'm, and, and I mean, I'm thinking in my head, like, how do you even, how do you even write an opera? How, right. Like, like how, where I, does it start? <laughs> like, where, where what do you begin? Yeah. It's like. I couldn't believe like the the whole storyline, uh, you know the 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 music behind you know those ideas and I just I there's so much that goes into an opera that's you know different from just writing you know even the suite of music like there's so much that goes into there it's it's like the you 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 also have to think about the stage you know, play yeah. where, where everybody is positioned and how this is going to, it's like Terrence Blanchard. I, I have to give it up to him. <laughs> that was, that was so inspiring for me, man. That is mm -hmm. a, that is quite the undertaking for sure. Yeah. Quite the undertaking. Um, now, now I want to check it out. I want to see if it's cause a lot of times after it's in New York, then it comes to LA. 
there's so, definitely uh, gonna be some reprises yeah yeah that would be great mm -hmm. i'd love to check that out uh yeah. and i'm not even i'm not even really that uh, really an opera fan but like to yeah. see a terrence blanchard opera exactly i think would be amazing so exactly I, wanna, yes, I, <laughs> that, yes, I, I think stay. that was probably my second time in the met opera house yeah <laughs> you yeah. know it was it was the best <laughs> <laughs> i think if i interviewed him i would just say okay just walk me through the whole just walk right the whole start to end how the hell does that exactly how, does, how, that how does it even come about like yeah that's amazing <laughs> so where can we see you uh out playing live well, um, I'm playing at Bar Bayou uh, pretty soon. I think on December 3rd, if I'm not mistaken, getting my calendar here, <laughs> uh, playing with a great saxophonist named Jerome Sabah and a great bass player named Joe Martin. Um, you know, I've got a, a few things coming throughout. I'm, I'm also playing... Uh, at the Rizzoli Bookstore with a great trumpet player and uh, arranger named Michael Leonhardt. I usually played in his big band at the Jazz Standard, but he's doing a, a quartet performance at Rizzoli Bookstore on December 5th. Um, in January, I'm going out with uh, Helen Sung, uh, going to, all over Europe uh, with her band, playing her music. Uh, which is always challenging and always a thrill to play. Um, you know, also got some more, you know, dates coming up with Lakeisha Benjamin's quartet. Uh, and I've, I've got, I've got a, a tour booked with my quintet uh, later on in 2022, uh, like September around then Europe cool. can expect to see our band out there. You know, nice. so things are, things are developing. I yeah. like it. Are you so? Do you put all those? You put all those dates on your website. Are they will be up there? Um, I haven't updated my website yet, but I'm gonna do it very soon. <laughs> now you, now you have to. Right? My, exactly. You're, you're like, thanks, Nick. Now I know. I, now I gotta no, sign up here. Update. All. <laughs> Thank you for a reminder. <laughs> I was gonna start an opera, but now I gotta update my website. <laughs> that, that's the thing with this whole pandemic thing. Is like we, uh, along with the good habits you uh, develop some bad habits develop where it's sure. like, you know, I wasn't updating my website because there were no gigs to, nobody to was doing anything. Yeah. But now there's gigs and I'm like still in that zone where I just <laughs> yeah. don't go and yeah, I need to. Yeah. I mean, you're probably yeah. like me. I'm like, I'll just put it on Instagram. It's fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's another thing. People don't really go to websites anymore. I mean, yeah. every now and then, you know, but, for the most part, people are looking at your social media. So I figure yep. if I put it there, you know, it'll be cool. I'm with you, man. Look, if you don't update your website, I, you know, um, <laughs> I, I won't, I won't think less of you. <laughs> okay. I'm like, look, you know, I go and look at my website. It's like, and then in 2004, there's this, you know, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm so behind. So, I don't <laughs> but, uh, but man, I really, like I said, uh, when we started this, I've been wanting to get you on for, for such a long time. So I appreciate you sitting down, taking the time to chat, especially during a holiday week. So I, I appreciate that as well, man. Yeah. Thank, and, thanks uh, for having me, Nate. Yeah. And I appreciate what you do. I appreciate you being on here and I hope that while you're out on the road, you have safe travels. And I also hope that you have a fantastic holiday, man. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure too. And when, when, so I'm originally from the East Coast. So when I'm, uh, when I'm in New York, I'm gonna come check you out. Awesome, come that sounds play. great. Or if you get to LA for, uh, when you're touring, so. That sounds great. Thank you so much, but, man. Of course, thank you, and I will talk to you soon, man. All right, talk to you soon. All right. There you have it. That's EJ Strickland. And you can find the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 641. And everything is there. If you want to reach out to EJ, you want to see where he's playing and all that, all that info of how you can, how you can find him is on the website. And also if you love the podcast, if this is the first one you've listened to, you've listened to them all, some of them, if you like the show, do me a favor, leave a rating, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes and it takes about a minute. And other than that, that's all I got. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.
Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.